was thinking about gatherings, family gatherings. Maybe you'll have opportunity to participate in some of those over the next few weeks or months. Whenever my kids gather with their cousins, be it their cousins on uh, Dana's side or on my side, it's typically not too long before a game of hide-and-go-seek breaks out. It's always apparent when you hear the lone voice sound out, one, two, three, four. And the counting concludes with the familiar warning, ready or not, here I come. And during the counting, there is, you know, scurrying about and excited whispers about where each hider plans to try and conceal her or himself. After a few rounds, when all the hiding places, which usually, depending on which house the gathering occurs at, usually all the hiding places have been utilized dozens of times before, and, and eventually an older kid or two will get, yeah, they'll just decide they're finished. Younger cousins are always ready for another round, though. You can imagine the scenario, a recent participant in the game, usually of about middle school age and up, sits on the couch, remote in, hands and turn, remote in hand, and turns on the TV. A younger cousin, the seeker, finishes counting, yells out, ready or not, here I come, and begins the hunt. And they enter the living room, and there, <laughs> there they see a one-time hider sitting in plain sight on the couch. And the seeker exclaims, I found you! And immediately, the recently retired participant in the game responds, I'm not even hiding. <laughs> While scripture doesn't indicate he was intentionally hiding, the beneficiary of Jesus' third sign in John's gospel was at least easy to overlook. Hear these words from John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But the man who had been healed answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. 
Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Send no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Lord, as we have heard these words from your scriptures, we pray that our eyes would be opened to understand. We ask that our hearts would be primed to internalize these words and apply them. When we leave in a few moments, may our experience of who Jesus is in the pages of scripture and in us be deepened. In his name we pray. Amen. The author of John's Gospel notes that upon entering the sheep gates, and I've tried to help us uh, kind of align ourselves to where this would be. This is kind of a, of a, of a drawing of, of maybe what Jerusalem would have looked like to some degree. Here's Gethsemane over here. Here's Golgotha over here. This is the temple, the court of the Gentiles, Mount Olives, the Mount of Olives, I mean, and then up here is the Sheep Gate, aptly named as the gate with, uh, through which sheep entered, <laughs> sheep who would be sacrificed at the temple. So John places for us the location and the reason for Jesus coming, that Jesus was there for a feast, and he was near the Sheep Gate. And there were others there. As we read in the narrative, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Last week we talked about the deepening faith of the royal official with the sick child. The likely Gentile man who was the official, though unnamed, anonymous, uh, 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 except for his title in John's gospel, he intentionally sought out Jesus. He had a desperate request when he encountered Jesus in Cana that his son would be healed. His trip from Capernaum, about 20 miles away, was intentional, purposeful, and deliberate. And we highlighted the way in which he believed Jesus' ability to heal simply by speaking the word some 20 miles away. What a contrast we find between him and the man in John 5. Think of all of the, all of the literal steps the royal official had to take in order to encounter Jesus. And then there's the man healed in John Chapter 5, within the multitude of invalids, for reasons that aren't spelled out, a man who had been in that condition for 38 years is singled out. The length of time is probably indicative of the fact that he had had these physical issues his whole life. His fate had required him to rely on others for his survival, for everything. And he laid by the pool that day with probably pretty scant hope 
and no knowledge that his healing had just walked through the gate. He didn't know that he was about to be found. He really didn't even know that he was hiding. <laughs> he wasn't looking for Jesus. He had no capability of making a 20-mile trip like the royal official had the week or, or in the passage we read last week. He couldn't make it 20 feet to the pool when the water was stirred up. Yet Jesus was looking for him. And he found him. And with a single command, he changed his life. Get up. Take up your mat and walk. And the man was healed. Boy, what a great ending to the story if we could have just finished right there. And they all lived happily ever after, right? <laughs> well, kind of. He was pretty happy. This man, though, who had presumably been incapable of carrying his own mat for the entirety of his life, gets questioned the very first time that he does so. You see, it was the Sabbath day when this sign occurred. And apparently in the minds of his questioners, carrying one's own mat met the criteria for work. And thus, in following the direction of the man who had given him a gift beyond his comprehension, in living his newfound freedom, he was breaking God's law. Let me ask kind of a blunt question. You ever find yourself thinking in your own mind, <laughs> why, why does God restore the people he does? Implied in that question or begged by that question is, why does God not restore somebody else? You know, we, we kind of hold in tension the idea that God asks of each of us to make an individual decision regarding the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. The phrases we use in our church or in our tradition usually are very much first person. I accepted Jesus into my heart. First person pronoun, I. I decided to follow Jesus. And we, of course, are all for that. Then we read the story of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, who, whose life God kind of commandeered <laughs> on his way to Damascus. Now, Paul, of course, made decisions from that point on to follow Jesus, but that initial blinding light where God tells Saul, Paul, where Jesus tells Saul, Paul, I have appointed you to be an apostle to the Gentiles. What? Shoot. I don't know that Paul had much choice, <laughs> at least in that moment. Then in the story of this man that we just read, with no request from the invalid, unlike the royal official we read about last week, who asked Jesus to do something, the invalid made no request. Jesus healed him. And, and then if you really want to kind of dig into what's implied in the in the passage, Jesus 
to, to get to him, Jesus had to step over other invalids. He had to leave some other folks who were blind and lame there by the pool. Why him? Why not them? Or if we really want to get, I don't know, step on my own toes a little bit. Why does God do this act in someone else's life and not mine? Not yours? I, I wonder how often, I wonder how often those those thoughts, as uncomfortable as they are even to think about us thinking about, I wonder about how often our response is dangerously like that of the healed man's challengers. <laughs> Those folks that we don't really want to associate ourselves with. It's uncomfortable to think about it because it may begin to shine light on some hypocrisy in our own hearts, in my own heart. It may indicate that we're hiding from the full light of God's love when we don't even realize we're playing hide-and-seek. But in our hearts, and may, maybe even in our words at times, do we tend to be a bit more comfortable with the invalid? Whatever that means, whoever that encompasses, whoever that describes, are we sometimes a little bit more comfortable if the invalid would just stay on the mat? Stay on the mat by the pool. Stay where you are. Stay in your lane. What might it mean if God starts acting in the lives of others or our own or in unexpected or to that point unknown ways? Uh, we, we say we want it, but sometimes it begins to happen and things, begin, things become a little uncomfortable. So how do we reassure ourselves when something begins to happen in someone's life that really seems outside of the norm? Sometimes we, 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 we do exactly what the challengers to the man who is carrying his mat does. We, we quiz them. <laughs> Can you pass a Bible trivia, quest, a Bible trivia quiz? I don't know. If you, can't, if you can't do this, I don't know if really you should be trusted to, to talk to me about what God is doing in your life. <laughs> the, the, the man who was healed, he couldn't even tell him who performed the sign in his life. Well, who, who, well sir, the, this man who, who asked you to pick up your mat and walk, who is he? The, the, the man whose legs suddenly worked said, well, shoot, I don't know, but my legs move now, and they didn't five minutes ago. Jesus found this man by the pool. And then he finds him again. Jesus finds him in the temple. A place that the invalid likely was entering for the first time in his whole life. Because up to that point, he would have been considered unclean. Legs didn't work. 
You can't enter into God's presence. That was the first place he went. The first place he walked was into the presence of God. <coughs> Twice. Twice he is found by Jesus. Jesus affirms the relationship that he now has with this newly healed man. Jesus reveals himself. He provides the man the answer to the question that had been asked. And he, I, he reveals his identity to the newly healed man. And then the man gives testimony. He goes and finds his questioners and says, Oh, now I know who healed me. It was Jesus. Kind of sounds like, it has echoes of the woman at the well, doesn't it? This man whom I met. Let me tell you all about it. Twice the invalid is found. But the folk who were lost, the folk who were lost in the story are the ones trusted as those presumed to be most familiar with the activity of God. Those who questioned the man and gave him the Bible trivia quiz, as I've jokingly called it, those who said, we're a little uncomfortable with the work that God is doing in your life. God doesn't act this way. They remain hidden. And they didn't even realize they were playing hide and seek. 